Hey guys, welcome to the Five State Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Mann. And my goal in this podcast is to invest in the move of God that's happening in our five-state region of South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, and Nebraska. And I want to see God do two things in our region. First, I want to see the bride of Christ in our region come into full maturity. And second, I want to see God bring forth a million soul harvest in our region in the next 10 to 15 years. So in today's episode, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Ray Vanderlinden about the Sermon on the Mount. And I've been enjoying this conversation so much with Ray and my heart is being stirred uh, to live a Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. And the reason that the Sermon on the Mount is obviously relevant to believers who have followed Jesus ever since the days of Jesus, but I really believe that uh, this is important for us to grasp uh, and understand the Sermon on the Mount and how to live that out in real life, because these are the kind of disciples that Jesus wants us to make. You know, when we talk about God, bring the bride of Christ in a region into maturity, the bride of Christ coming into maturity looks like the people of God living out the Sermon on the Mount in a practical way on a regular basis. And when we talk about um, God bringing a million soul harvest, you know, we are going to be discipling these new believers and we need to be training them to live the lifestyle that Jesus put forth in the Sermon on the Mount. So I, I just, I think it's an important time to go deep in the Sermon on the Mount, to study it, to learn it, to begin applying it in our lives, and then begin to teaching others to live this lifestyle as well. Earlier this year, um, I remember I, I woke up uh, it was early in the morning on a Sunday morning and the spirit of God was resting on me. And I had this thought in my mind. I had this thought where I was like, we need to build the movement on the eight Beatitudes. Then it will produce the kind of fruit that Jesus likes. And it will also produce the kind of fruit that remains, the kind that lasts. And so anyway, that's why I'm taking a whole month just to focus on the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. We'll go ahead and get straight into that conversation right after this word from our sponsor. I'm continuing my conversation with Ray Vanderlinden, um, talking about the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle that was put forth by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And in our last podcast episode on this interview, Ray and I had just finished uh, talking about the, the eight Beatitudes that begin the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're not going to have time in this interview unfortunately, to really talk about every single verse in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, although that would be awesome, I would love to do that sometime. Uh, truth be told, I I'm enjoying this, just talking to another Sermon on the Mount junkie. And my heart is being stirred uh, with these truths, actually, just talking about this with you, Ray. So thanks for doing this with me. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I love it. So we're going to just try to focus on at least uh, four key passages in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, for the remaining part of this inter interview. And the first one is in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 21. So what I'll do, Ray, is I'm going to go ahead and just read the passage real quick. And then uh, afterward, I'll just have you respond uh, to it and just kind okay. of explain, tell us, you know, what it means and maybe talk about how we apply this teaching to our lives as followers of Jesus in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, 
Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, yeah, Ray, what is talk to us about, like, um, you know, what that means and how we apply it in our lives as followers of Jesus. Yeah. So <clears throat> obviously we know that as believers, like our our objective is not to to analyze the law and follow it to a T in the sense that we're trying to get our outward outward appearance correct. Like we're just trying to modify our behavior so that it reflects uh, what the law says, but that we're trying to, or what we are doing is engaging the Holy Spirit in relationship and allowing the fruit of that relationship um, not only fulfill the law in the sense that um, in the way that we live, it, it, it shows what is called in the previous chapter, the salt and light, um, yeah. but it actually represents the fruit of the law. And so we're not aiming our mind like, okay, I got to memorize all the law like that, you know, in the Old Testament and then go through and like now because I've memorized it and I respond to it that that I can show myself approved. But now we do it a different way where we engage in relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires our hearts to not just be followers of the law, but to be engaged in relationship with him. And so, <clears throat> you know, Jesus says, I'm not coming to abolish this. I'm not coming to get rid of these ideas. I'm actually going to push down. That's what he's going to do in the rest of the sermon. I'm going to press down into your heart. And I'm going to show you that it's more than just an external expression or an, or the appearance, uh, the appearance that you carry, you know, he talks about how the cup is clean on the outside, but filthy on the inside. Um, so I, I'm going to press down into your heart and I'm going to free you from things that you can't even perceive. Um, and so to me, it's, he's engaging, he's engaging us at the heart level through the law in that, yeah. in that particular sense, or a, a better way to say it would be that, um, he wants to uh, he, he doesn't want to get rid of the standard. The standard doesn't get sacrificed. We don't get rid of the standard, but we are able to uphold it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Yes. I love that. <laughs> I, I explained it like three different ways. Right there, so. <laughs> I, you know, I went through a time where, you know, I, in my misunderstanding early on when I first became a believer, I was really zealous for the word, but I like didn't understand any of it. And so like, <laughs> There was a time where I was like, the law is horrible. Like it's bad. And you know, I was like, I would like preach against it. Not really necessarily preach like in public, but I would like be talking to my friends and I'd be like down with the law, down with the law, you know, and I, right. I just didn't understand, you know? And so now anytime the law typically, you know, or I, you know, you can hear it. It's like when people start talking about the law, they immediately start thinking about legalism. Oh, you're talking about the law. Or, and so I think people have a difficult time when they come to the Sermon on the Mount, finding Jesus's sermon is actually uh, operates in the reign of grace. So not under. Yes. The law. Yes. So good. And, you know, I actually feel like this passage is I really wanted to focus on it because I feel like it's <laughs> this little section of Jesus teaching it is huge um, yeah. for understanding really the rest of the Sermon on the Mount correctly. Um interpreting and applying it correctly but even understanding the the um the relationship of uh the new covenant to the old covenant 
mm. and uh, and how we walk that out. And I feel like, and um, you know, I'll, I'll let you respond to this too. But one of the uh, growing errors that I hear frequently from like really great people who totally love Jesus. But I, I hear this a lot and from a lot of different sections of, of the body of Christ where they're, um, they say things in the Western church like uh, the Old Testament scriptures are no longer relevant to us today mm. in the new covenant. And, yeah. um, you know, or I'll hear like even they're talking about like the, uh, the justice and the judgments of God. And they and um, if anybody talks about that happening today, they're like, no, 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 no. We're in the new covenant. That's that's old covenant. You're thinking old covenant and we're under grace. And it's almost like um, which is just uh, an error, actually, yes. because really the Bible is one unfolding story from beginning to end. Like the plan God started in Genesis one and two is fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22 uh, comes to completion. And it, it's one unfolding narrative revealing one God and who doesn't change like the Bible says that very clearly. Yeah, uh, that God does not change. He doesn't have a personality uh, transformation after Jesus is resurrected and ascends to heaven. Um, he's the same God. And you could see uh, it, it, the mercy of God is on display over and over again, countless uh, throughout the Old Testament. And the justice, the judgments of God are intense judgments, actually, are all over the New Testament scriptures <laughs> yes. uh, in the book of Acts, in the epistles, in like the book of Revelation. I mean, they're just he's the same God. He's he's just and he's merciful. And um, anyway, I, I feel like this is a key passage because I feel like right away Jesus is actually uh, saying, listen, I'm 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 not coming starting some new religion. Um I'm coming. Um, I'm building the next layer on the on the on that's what right. I already started in the old covenant. Yeah, that's that's really good, and it's a, it's a really good point because, yeah, and you know I you know I hear that mis misinterpretation a lot, um, and it's hard to like I don't want to say argue or debate it, but it's it's like man the the New Testament quotes the Old Testament so frequently and so often that to me to understand the New Testament at all you have to understand the Old Testament at least fundamentally absolutely like what's, what's going on so like I mean you could like even Romans like I mean how many times does like Paul quote the book of Isaiah in Romans it's like well clearly if you want to really understand Romans you got to go back to what 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 uh, Paul's quoting in the book of Isaiah so we can't just be like nah that that's over and now it's this it's yeah it's one continuing unfolding story and we don't get rid of parts of it just because we're in the new covenant we see ourselves in the story or is the best way i can say it. you see yourself in in line with the story it's a natural progression of human history yes and so unbelievers they they still they're still going to be judged according to the law like that's just the natural progression of things it's like we're we're either uh in grace uh, or we're in the reign of sin, or we're under the law, or we're under grace, or we're in Adam, or we're in Christ. And so it's like, if you're not in Christ, and you're in Adam, then under Adam, you'll be judged by the law. That's, that's just, we don't get rid of it. You know, just now as believers that are in Christ, we become an expression of, of, we become the full expression of the law, because it's now written on our heart. So we begin to live that out. That's why it's so important that we don't say, no, nah, down with the law. Now we're just grace. And, and typically that gets interpreted as I can just do whatever I want now. 
and I'm not going to be held accountable to it, which is a yeah. huge distortion of the grace message. And so all of that to say, like Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be called great in the kingdom of heaven, you will not only um, uh, agree with what it is I'm saying here, you'll promote it. Um, but you just have to make sure you're promoting it in a way that helps people to live it, not in a legalistic way where it's like, get all the externals right and not focus on the internals. where Jesus is saying, focus on the in- internal and the external will take care of itself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I, um, you know, this is a lot of people would freak out if they just heard this statement, uh, but I love the law. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> the law and I love grace. I'm glad I'm not under the law, but yeah. I love the law. And, and, and um, and, you know, I, I think people would be like, oh, how can you say that as a New Testament believer? And well, actually, even Paul said that the law is good mm. if, if, if one uses it properly. And I and I think like uh, have the law, you know, I think there's pushback. People say, oh, you know, the law is not good because it was a failure because the law can't save anybody from their right. sin. But, uh, you know, my thought is like, yeah, but it was never intended for that purpose. That wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law wasn't to save us from our sins. Um, but the law was completely successful in the purpose for which it was given. And so I, I, I think of um, the Old Testament law, I think of like, what was the purpose of it? And uh, there were several different purposes. One, it, it revealed to us God's righteous and holy ways. Yes. So that we could know what he's like Two, it, 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 it revealed to us our, our need for uh, salvation and uh, for deliverance from sin. It revealed our sin, the depth of our depravity, our sinful nature to us. And um, but the third and, and this is one that I think is often overlooked. The law was actually given. God was forming a, a group of people, a giant family into a nation, and he was giving them a government. And Mm. as he's forming their government for this nation, he gives the law. It was their constitution, so to speak, um, by which they would govern their nation. And it gave them the standards to govern their nation. And one of the purposes of the law was it was given to restrain sinful people from acting out the evil desires that were in their hearts so that it would keep society a decent place to live. It would restrain the um the depravity of a culture because mm. like for example the like the sinful nature doesn't the de- i mean not the, the sinful nature the uh the law doesn't deliver um an adulterer from the lustful desires of the heart that's right but <clears throat> but what it does is it says if you act that out you're going to be put to death and so it causes the adulterer, why it doesn't deliver him from the adulterous heart, it at least causes him to say, you know what, I would like to act this out, but I'm not going to because it's too costly. Yeah, <laughs> it curbs the motivation for sin. And because of that, there's less people in society who are committing adultery. So therefore, less families are broken apart. And uh, it just it restrains sin from manifesting in society and keeps it a decent place to live. And so, and, and Paul even said that, you know, when he's writing to Timothy, he's like, the law is good if one uses it properly. And then he says, the law is not for righteous people. It's for sinners. Mm. Um, because righteous people who have a, a new heart in Jesus, it's like, uh, we love the Lord. We love his standards. It's like we were liberated from a spirit of adultery. Um, yeah. 
in our heart, he delivers us. So we don't need a law saying, hey, if you do this, you're going to be put to death because um, we don't want to do it anyway. We, we, right. we love the Lord and we love what he loves. Um, and so I think of like, that's what he's getting to in this passage is he's talking about, um, like, for example, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees hmm. and the teachers of the law, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the, the Pharisees actually were outwardly looked like they could really uh, obey the law outwardly really well. But they were filled, you know, so but they were filled with adultery. They were filled with covetousness. They were filled with uh, unrighteous anger, the spirit of murder, all these things. But um, they could they uh, and the law couldn't deliver them from that. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is like, hey, now that you have grace being made available to you, I'm going to actually liberate your heart from the sinful nature. That's so and good. I'm going to give you the ability. Your righteous, righteousness is going to go far beyond being limited to just restraining the acting out of sinful desires, even though that that is a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but the promise of the new covenant goes far beyond that. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not just going to help you restrain. I'm going to liberate your heart from the sinful desires. And I'm going to give you a heart that has righteous desires so that you become a slave of righteousness. And oh, that's I so good. I think uh, uh, like one of my favorite illustrations to talk about this is, um, you know, I heard this story of, you know, in Singapore, they have laws where, um, it, you know, intense drug laws, where if you're caught dealing drugs or something like that there, it's like death penalty. Um, so it's intense and they don't play around with it. And so I, I heard this true story of a pastor who was on a flight from, I think it was like Amsterdam to Singapore. And he was sitting next to some young man probably in his lower twenties. And the young man looks at him and says, you know, is it true what they say about Singapore that in their drug laws, do they really kill people if they find you with drugs and stuff like that? And, and the pastor, he had been there before. He was like, Oh yeah, no, it's totally true. They're really serious about it. They don't play with it. If you get caught, man, uh, they deal with it right away. All of a sudden he's like, this kid just starts sweating, like breaks out in this sweat and he starts fidgeting. After a few minutes, he gets up out of his chair goes to the restroom. He's gone a few minutes. And then he comes back and he just has this look of relief on his face. And the pastor <laughs> looks at him smiling and says, well, did you just get rid of some uh, extra baggage? <laughs> and the, 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 the kid just kind of cheapestly was like, yeah, you know, I did or whatever. But I think like, to me, that's a, like, um, that's exactly what the law, the purpose of the law is for. It's, it didn't liberate him from his craving for the drugs. He may say, I wish I had the drugs. It doesn't set a drug addict free from drug addiction, but it does restrain people from acting those things out. So it keeps society a better place to live. Yeah. Yeah. It helps. It helps curb. And the idea is to curb it so that it, we don't just live in the moral decay, like without any control over it, you know? Absolutely. And, and the good news is grace. He says, listen, your righteousness is going to go far beyond the Pharisees because uh, I'm going to liberate your heart. Uh, it's yeah. not just going to be an outward righteousness. It's going to be I'm going to actually set the drug addict free from the a desire for drugs. I'm going to set the al alcoholic free. I'm going to set the, uh, the person who has temper tantrums free from the anger and the hatred and the bitterness in their heart. And on and on and on and on. And, and I think that that's the good news of the gospel. So I think the law is good. 
uh, it fulfills its purpose with in an excellent way, but it's, you know, but grace is better. Grace is better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So anyway, do you have any other like thoughts on that? Before yeah, I, I do like, I mean, verse 19 to me is just like so incredibly like critical. Like when you read the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's like one of the high points in my mind. Therefore, whoever relaxes, I'm, I'm reading out of the ESV. Okay. But whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least. I mean, wow, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the kingdom so of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I, mm. I was telling somebody this the other day. I'm like, man, I want to be called great, not great in, in the way that I perceive greatness, but great in the way that God perceives greatness. Come on. And and I was telling him, like, you know, that's, you know, that's what Jesus wants for us is that he wants to be able to call us great. And he, like this particular person that I was sharing it with, they started scoffing at it. Oh, you'll never be called great in God's eyes. You're just, he's like, why do you want to be like that prideful and arrogant? And I'm like, it's, it's not about pride and arrogance. It's about um, communicating and saying the things that Jesus said and then reaping the benefits of those things. And so yeah. Jesus said the benefit would be that you'll be called great if you teach what it is that he says is important. And this is yeah. what he says is important. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You go through the Sermon on the Mount and you read it and you're like, did he just like pick like 11 topics at random to talk about? Or, right. <laughs> or is this uh, like, is this actually, these are the common things. These are the things that are common to the human heart. So he has like a deeper strategy. But when I first started reading Sermon on the Mount, I thought, why does he just pick these ideas at random, like lust and divorce and, and loving your enemies? It's like all these different things. And I, I just feel like there's like hundreds more topics he could have picked from. Yeah. You know? But then you, the more you realize you're like, no, these are the things that, that reduce or they reduce greatness in the human heart or they produce greatness in the human heart. And so these are the key ideas. And if we focus on them in a way, you know, inspired by the Lord, I'm not saying like put together a system where you're focusing on them like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, but actually like, Lord, I want to like grow in this area. I want to be tender in this area. I want you to lead me in this area and I want to help lead other people in this area. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll call you great because that's what I find important in the kingdom. So that Come verse on. to me like really, really stands out. Verse 19 of chapter five. That's huge. You know, here's, the, here's the deal. Everybody is living with, you know, everybody has some sort of ideal in their heart that they think of as this is a great life that yeah. governs how they make their decisions and uh, the way they go about their life, they, the way they interact with people and the various situations in life that they're going through, like everybody has some kind of definition of, you know, this is what a really great person does. I want to be a great person. And so I, I just see it as let's just Jesus is telling us here. He's like, OK, just so you know, this is how I define a great life. And yeah. so I think humility, <laughs> it's actually humility to be able to say, well, I agree with your definition of greatness. And I am now going to make my decisions and uh, walk through uh, the things I do in the circumstances of life with the goal of living this out. I want to be a guy who, who, who loves your word, who lives according to your, your righteous standards and influences others to do the same. And so I just think it's a matter of honestly, it's a matter of worship, but it's a matter of humility. Um, somebody, you're going to live according to some value system. Yeah. And so I'm just going to say, I agree with Jesus value system. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, and I, I, I want to be great. You know, I was actually just in my own Bible reading earlier this week. I was in, uh, I think it was the book of Mark 
And I was reading a passage where <laughs> the disciples are talking about who's going to be, the, who's the greatest among them. Yeah. And it stands out to me like Jesus actually doesn't c- correct them or rebuke them for desiring to be great. Um, he, what he does is he just, uh, he redirects it uh, toward how he defines greatness and how kingdom, uh, the kingdom of God, greatness is measured. It always says, you know, whoever wants to be great among you, let him be the servant. <laughs> so good. The yeah. one who serves. And so the desire to be great, I feel like it's built in, it's hardwired into the DNA of every single human being by God. Mm. We just need to uh, redirect our definition of greatness to agree with Jesus and then aim our life at that. And then when we do that, actually, it looks like not a bunch of pride. It looks like humility. <laughs> it looks like worship and laying down our lives. So, yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Awesome, man. Any other thoughts on this section before we move to another one? Oh, man, I, I, I could probably give you a hundred more thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on and see if something, if I get inspired to come back to this for any reason. <laughs> okay. That sounds good. Actually, you know, I have one that just came into my mind. So okay. I just want to say it real quick, get yeah. it out while I can. Um, so the part where uh, Jesus says in this section about the law and the prophets, which of course he's, he's talking about the whole old Testament, um, you know, the major prophets, the writings of the minor prophets, the, the law, etc., the Pentateuch. But then he says, um, not the least stroke will disappear not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And Mm. I think this is another key thing that stands out to me is actually there are promises and covenants that God made in the old Testament that still to this day have not yet been fulfilled. That's right. And so uh, this is a huge statement. Jesus is not saying I'm scrapping everything I've done up to this point and I'm starting over with a new religion. And uh, he's not doing that. He says, no, I, I'm, I'm actually building upon, I'm going to fulfill every promise and everything I've, I said to Abraham, everything that I said to David, everything that I, you know, all, all the covenants that I've made, um, I'm going to fulfill every detail of them. And that's a super important thing. And uh, anyway, I, I, we could do a whole podcast just on that. Yeah, um, I, was, I was talking to a missionary in, out of Egypt um, a couple of weeks ago and I'm sitting down with him and I was just like, you know, do you find it? Cause he, he likes to teach, he likes to teach, you know, through the whole, all of scripture, which, you know, that's obviously really good yes. uh, in the sense, but I mean, he could, he could preach, you know, new Testament or new Testament ideas through the old Testament and lead people to Christ that way. And I say, I asked him, I said, man, do you ever find it like, you know, frustrating or anything, you know, regarding, you know, people wanting to disregard the old Testament or anything like that. And he said, he said something that actually really helped my heart. He said, no, he's like, you know, you know, Gentiles, we come into the kingdom and we kind of like have our own ideas and we're very different from the Jews. And, and so in that particular sense, like we need to be discipled into the whole of scripture. And by default, we just don't accept some of those old Testament ideas because of the way that Jewish customs are so, uh, they contrast so much with just the way that we are. And so, so you gotta be like incredibly patient with people. It's like as Gentiles, we just like want like the good news of like Romans one to eight, <laughs> you know, and, and like some Galatians and, you know, and then we kind of like feel set up in that way. And where we're like, this is good. Like I'm good to just receive this. And, but like, man, when you put the beauty of the entire scriptures together and you see how the story unfolds and how you fit into it, 
uh, man, it's, it's amazing. And the covenants and, and all that different stuff. And so you can't, when you, when you begin to ditch that yeah. the story becomes me focused, like what can this do for me? And, and the point of the gospel or one of the points is, is what can I do according to the gospel? Not what can it do for me, but now what can I do that I'm equipped? Yeah. <clears throat> That's so good. Actually, this is like, anyway uh, i'll have to move on i love this subject though this is such a huge su- i did a whole actually if maybe i should you know on my my church james river church uh on you know i did a whole series of messages on covenants mm. uh in the bible and i i preached on the abrahamic covenant the uh i preached on the mosaic covenant i preached on the um davidic covenant and which and then i preached on the new covenant and and i just kind of through that series i just i highlighted like um there are things from those covenants that are eternal, unrevocable promises Yes, that God is on the hook for. If he were not to keep even one of these promises uh, that he, that he made in, in like the Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, et cetera, um, everything falls apart. Yeah. I mean, everything falls apart. Even the new covenant falls apart if he doesn't keep it. And, some of those are yet to be fulfilled. And so like to disregard the old Testament and say, well, that's yesterday's news. We just scrap that. It's like, no, like we, we are built on that foundation and some of those have to yet be fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's a whole big subject. Maybe yeah, I, I didn't mean to get us into those deep waters. You no, know, I, I think it was my <laughs> fault. I, I, I took us there uh, because I love that subject. I'm just super passionate about that. I just everyone who's listening, like read the entire Bible. This is one of my big things that when I'm discipling people, I tell them all the time. I'm like, don't just like read the New Testament. Um, read the whole thing over and over the Old Testament, yeah. all of it, every single part, even the parts that are confusing, that seem weird, that don't you don't understand. Just read the whole thing straight through over and over again for the rest of your life, because there's there's a narrative. There's there's one grand story that's being told from beginning to end, and you will understand the individual parts of the story uh, that are in the New Testament and uh, all that stuff. You'll understand the parts better if you understand where they fit in the in the big grand narrative. That's so good of the whole Bible. Yeah. So know the story, just get familiar with the whole story of the Bible. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, when I disciple them, I'm like, I'm like, well, I don't really have time for that. I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. You got about 40 more years and exactly. you need to give your life to this thing. This is what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Amen. It's so good. That's all the time we have for today's podcast episode. And I will continue my conversation with Ray uh, about the Sermon on the Mount in the next episode that comes out. So please tune back in for that. But I want to leave you today with a challenge. If you have not gotten into the habit of reading through the entire Bible, I want to encourage you to start that right away. Just, you know, maybe you just read the New Testament or you like reading Psalms and Proverbs or you just read, you know, portions of scripture at a time, but you've not really actually read the whole Bible all the way through. I want to encourage you right away to say, I'm doing that this year and go back, start at the book of Genesis, just begin reading until you get all straight through till you finish Revelation and then circle back to Genesis and do it all again for the rest of your life. Because there is one grand story that the Bible is telling that the more you read it, just reading the whole thing over the years, you begin to see clearer the the larger story that the Bible is 
putting forth that begins in Genesis and it ends in the book of Revelation. And I really do believe that it will help us serve the Lord more effectively as well as disciple others more effectively by knowing that big picture story that the Bible is telling. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. And if you enjoy listening to this, I want to ask you to do me a favor. Could you actually subscribe to uh, the podcast, but also can you share it with somebody else? Like share it on your Facebook page or share it on um, through a text message, you know, send it out to this episode to people you like. And uh, we want to get the message out to as many people as possible. And I could really use your help in helping me do that. So if you could take just like one or two minutes and share it with somebody, that would be awesome. I'd appreciate it so much. Also, I want to encourage you to check out my Five State Revival YouTube channel where you can see uh, video re- recordings of, uh, of training videos and other things that will be helpful to you in your walk with the Lord. And uh, tune in next time for our next podcast episode. God bless you.